This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. One area that I receive tons of questions about is medication during pregnancy and breastfeeding. And I'm a psychotherapist. I am not a prescriber, but I knew that this was a topic that we were going to have to take head on and get really well informed because medication can be such a vital part of somebody's treatment plan. It is for that reason that I am beyond excited to welcome a reproductive psychiatrist, Dr. Kristen Lassiter, to the podcast today. Dr. Kristen has her own reproductive psychiatry clinic in Austin, Texas. During our time with her today, we will discuss whether medication truly is an option to treat anxiety, depression, or other mental health challenges while pregnant and while nursing. We also talk about at what point a mother may consider medications and also what types of professionals specialize in managing our medications and who we should consult about these types of issues. I don't want to keep you from this amazing interview any longer. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. I have been looking forward to this interview I just want to pick your brain and I have so many questions. Um, But first of all, I'm so interested to discover and find out like, how did you pick reproductive psychiatry and how does one kind of stumble into that field and find their way into that specialty? Well, Erica, first, I want to just say thank you so much for having me. This is such a cool idea for a podcast and I'm really excited that you're doing this. And that is a question that I get asked frequently, and it's kind of a long answer in that, first of all, to even come upon psychiatry was very opposite of what I thought I was going to do. I went into medical school thinking that I wanted to go into OB-GYN or reproductive um, medicine, and kind of along that path realized and I really loved psychiatry. I loved studying it. I liked doing the work. And so it was more of the path that led me to psychiatry. And then in psychiatry, I realized that there was this thing called reproductive psychiatry, which I had never heard of. And most people still haven't heard of it. And I learned about it while I was um, doing residency interviews. And from that, I realized, oh, wow, this is like the two things that I, I really care about. It was reproductive um, health and hormones and how those things affect our body. It was working with women and helping them through 
a difficult period in their life. And it was combining psychiatry, which I just think is very intriguing and always growing and interesting. Um, So that's kind of how I got involved in it. And it was very early on when I was still even learning about how to do psychiatry. It's really interesting. I've just started to specialize my own practice into maternal mental health, uh, because even in my field of psychology or psychotherapy, the focus on maternal mental health is its kind of an up and coming. It's a newer thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't even know about reproductive psychiatry until I want to say like a month or two ago. And, and it just made so much sense. And I was just like, I have to have you on here because there is so <laughs> much, well, stigma and there's so many questions and so many myths and things about medication and moms and, you know, who is the, who should be like monitoring those and who should be prescribing Mm -hmm. them and are there safe ones? Are there not? And I know coming from a field of psychotherapy and psychology that some, some moms really need to be like, take care of their mental health and take care of themselves while they're pregnant. Right. So people have been on medications for potentially since teenagers or their whole life. And then they get pregnant and then there's so much fear around baby. So. Right. And I really think that's a shortcoming of medicine in general. You know, if you look back at the literature, there have been papers and books and lots of research done on reproductive hormones and their effects on women in particular and and those effects on psychiatry or psychiatric illnesses. And it's been known for a long time that these two things coincide. And so I think it's just a failure on on maybe our, our medicine, or maybe it's part of all of the cultural stigma around mental health, and that we've really failed to develop this field more than, than it is right now. Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm grateful for being in this place now where it is more acceptable to talk about. Mm-hmm. Women are more, you know, open to talking about their postpartum. And like the statistics around postpartum are are incredible, right? Like 20%, I think it is in like North American countries and up to 30% in developing countries. So it's, it's prevalent. It's something that a lot of us deal with. Mm -hmm. And yet even mental health professionals and people that I know about are not fully, I'm pausing because I'm choosing my words carefully here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just even like a lack of awareness. It's like sometimes that that the training is even out there, or that the that the right. professionals even you know exist that really can speak to these areas. Correct. There's just a huge gap in the training, um, so people just aren't equipped to even know how to handle these situations. You know. OBGYNs aren't trained on it. They get maybe one lecture, their entire four-year residency training. Um, Psychiatrists aren't really trained on it. It's just now becoming, um, you know, something that's being part of some of the curriculums, but other psychiatrists never even get trained on it. So there's a huge gap and it's a very important, you know, illness to talk about in, in Yeah. Pregnancy. So why don't we dive into it a little bit? Like, I don't know exactly what you specialize in terms of the types of clients that you see. I know I see and speak with a lot of women who um, have like perinatal mood challenges in general, whether it's like a really clinical, you know, I wouldn't deal with more of like your psychotic episodes and things like that. It's like common um, postpartum depression baby blues are like adjustments to motherhood as well, like wellness oriented things. 
but how, Mm -hmm. like who, what kind of population, I guess, do you deal with and do you focus on mood disorders or is it kind of a full gamut of clients? It's really a full gamut. So I specialize in anything related to reproductive hormones. So it can be in women who are having flare-ups and depression, anxiety, or even psychosis around their menstrual cycle. It can be women who are planning pregnancy and are on medications and wanting to know what's safe and what's not. Um, It can be women who are pregnant and develop mental illness in pregnancy or postpartum, and it can include women who go through postpartum psychosis, um, who or who are already, you know, having schizophrenia or some sort of psychotic disorder, and and you know, wanting to get pregnant after they've been stabilized and wanting to know what what's best to do for themselves and for baby. And then it's also involving women who are going through menopause because a lot of psychiatric illnesses not only can worsen in menopause, but can even show up for the first time in menopause, including That is so interesting. It is. It's very interesting. So it sounds like there is like a hormonal component to it as well. You had mentioned a couple of times. Yes. Yeah, so we've, we've learned through research that both estrogen and progesterone have a lot of uh, neurological effects on our our brain chemistry in particular, there's been a lot more research done on estrogen, but it seems that times when estrogen is fluctuating a lot, then that's when a lot of these mental illnesses okay. can pop up. Very interesting. So when it comes to postpartum depression or anxiety or like perinatal, I guess I should say, even during pregnancy, are there safe medications to take And can you walk us maybe through how you would evaluate if a medication intervention is necessary or not, like what the red flags would be? Uh, Because like uh, from a therapeutic perspective, we work with like CBT and we cognitive behavioral therapy and we would bulk up coping skills, try to get supports in place and good sleep Mm -hmm. hygiene and like all of these other supports and things. But at what point would a mom know that maybe like, maybe I should seek out a psychiatrist or talk to somebody about potentially seeking out medication? So it's, it's tricky to say that a medication is safe or not in pregnancy because there is no medication that is 100% safe in pregnancy. Even taking Tylenol has risks to it. So what we look at when we're looking at someone taking medication is what are the risks of the medication and what are the risks of the mental illness and balancing those two things out and deciding, okay, which one is safer for baby? Because there is a point on the spectrum when the mental illness becomes riskier and worse for both the mom and the baby than the risks of the medication. And at that point we would say, okay, medication is definitely safer for this baby and for this mom than going without the medication. But to take a step back and look at how do you decide who should take medications in pregnancy and who should not, the best thing to look at is their previous illnesses. So if if someone has had one or especially if they've had two episodes of depression or hypomania, mania, psychosis, um, any kind of mental illness episode, 
then they're at very high risk for those things reoccurring in pregnancy and postpartum because of what we talked about earlier and that hormones just have a way of bringing out those things um, more more likely in, in pregnancy and postpartum than at other times in your life. So a woman who has had two or more episodes of depression before, then her likelihood of getting depression during or after pregnancy is upwards of 60 to 70%. Mm. A woman who has had um, a history of bipolar disorder before, that rate goes up even higher. So you know, you're looking at upwards of 80% likelihood that she's going to get another episode during pregnancy or during postpartum. And the risk of that is that those episodes in that period of time are so detrimental to the development of the baby that really it becomes, you know, why why risk that versus having these small risks of the medication? Right, absolutely. And even during that pregnancy period, mom may have other children that she has to care for. So she has to be functioning, you know, for herself, but also potentially for toddler who is in her care. So abandoning all Mm -hmm. medications may not necessarily be a wise thing. So I understand it, it comes back to like weighing sort of making calculated risk in a way are taking calculated risk. But yeah, like mom Mm -hmm. may have other dependents and other things and has to care for herself ultimately as well through that process. Right. And when a woman becomes depressed or, or gets some sort of mood or anxiety symptoms during pregnancy that, that meet, you know, some sort of clinical diagnosis at that point, things are usually severe enough that multiple medications usually have to be used to get her back to a stable point. And so then you're exposing the baby to even more things than maybe the baby would have been exposed to if she would have just stayed on a medication to begin with. That is very interesting. I appreciate that. It's like the least intrusive way might be to proactively stay on this medication. Right. Right. So we actually had this... um, I think it was out of Sick Kids in Toronto. It was affiliated with one of the Toronto hospitals. We had something called Mother Risk, and it was mm-hmm. a program that it, it was doing research and collecting data on medications and usage in like pregnant mothers and breastfeeding mothers. I think it actually recently mm-hmm. shut down, which is really unfortunate, but they had a hotline that you could call um, when you were prescribed mm-hmm. a medication or if you were going to take like, you know, throat lozenge or Advil cold and sinus or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you could call and speak with a counselor who could like assess the data and give you like a little bit of an opinion and then go speak to your doctor type of thing. Oh, uh-huh. But it, it it recently shut down, I think, which is really unfortunate. But how do they go about, and I'm sure that there are studies, like how do they go about researching this during pregnancy? Like obviously during breastfeeding, it is uh, easier because you can take a medication, you can wait a few minutes, and then you can ex- like take some breast milk and measure the amounts of medication in the breast milk, right? So mm-hmm. could you help us to understand those who don't aren't exposed to the research and don't understand it, how might they go about collecting this data about medications on pregnancy? How do researchers go about this? So it's difficult, right? Because you can't ethically really do 
research studies on women who are pregnant. You can't say, okay, here, give me this group of pregnant women and half of you are going to be taking this medication that may or may not be harmful to you and the other half are not. We're not ethically allowed to do that. Um, So what we end up doing is we pull a bunch of women from data registries or a bunch of women who have already been exposed to some sort of medication and then go back and look at, okay, what what sort of things popped up in this population? Um, what are some specific risks we want to look at? Um, and then compare that to just the general population. The issues come up in that a lot of the like we talked about, a lot of things come up just from a woman being depressed in pregnancy in general. That has a lot of risks with it. So then it comes, um, it becomes difficult to kind of parse out, okay, what was from the depression specifically and what was from the medication? So for example, a lot of studies um, have come out saying that SSRIs increase the risk of autism. But if you look closely at these studies, they didn't necessarily parse out, well, was this from depression or was this from medication? Were these women really well controlled on their medications or were these women who had just filled a prescription for an antidepressant in pregnancy? And unfortunately, most of these studies are are not able to get those kind of details. But we know that women who have a history of depression have an increased risk of having kids with autism. So then it becomes, you know, blaming the medication versus what it really might have been was just that then they have a history of depression to begin with. Right. And just because um, you may not be able to say, you know, like with absolute uncertainty that this is like a, a completely safe medication, that doesn't mean that there is not mm-hmm. research like that data collected, like through the um, the mother risk, for example, that was a mm-hmm. data collection of moms who take different medications for different reasons and whatever to collect that data to, mm-hmm. and then they call and follow up about outcomes and side effects and birth defects and all of these things. So there is data collected in an ethical way to help mm-hmm. support and guide, obviously, your field and, and what it is you're doing. Right. And so now there's a lot more um, research going into this field. And so now there are better design studies and are coming out with outcomes that, you know, are easier to trust because we know that they've kind of really looked at um, at all these different factors that could be influencing Um, the outcomes. So the way that we kind of learn about which, which ones are truly risk versus which are not is kind of generally looking at all of the, all of the good research studies that have been done and seeing what is consistently shown in the good research studies and then dropping all of the other things that, you know, keep going back and forth or, or weren't really good research studies. We can't really let those hold weight in, in what's true or not. And the, the good thing about most of the medications, such as lithium or Zoloft or a lot of our really old um, antidepressants, is that we've had years of research on those. And so we were able to overall confidently say that we know whether or not they're going to cause some sort of issue. 
As busy moms, the last thing we need is more on our to-do list. It's hard enough to remember who needs what packed for school, when the next doctor's appointment is, and when to register for events, let alone remembering to call and cancel subscriptions that drain your finances every month. That's why Rocket Money is so great. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you notice something that you don't want, Rocket Money can help you cancel it with a few taps. They even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash momwell. That's rocketmoney.com slash momwell. Feeding the family is one of the most all-consuming parts of the invisible load. Meal planning, shopping, trying to balance nutrition, finding the time to actually cook with little ones needing your focus and attention can be so stressful. But Factor makes it easy. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals take the mental load off your plate, providing pre-prepared, chef-crafted meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to select from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan plus veggie, and more. You can even choose from over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, including snacks and smoothies. With Factor, there's no prep and no mess. The meals are 100% ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. That means no cooking and no cleanup, which is great for busy moms. You can choose the schedule that works for you and your family. Choosing six to 18 meals per week and pausing or rescheduling your deliveries is quick and easy. Reclaim some time and reduce your mental load with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use the code momwell50 to get 50% off. That's code momwell50 at factormeals.com slash momwell50 to get 50% off. If your house is anything like mine, breakfast is the most frantic meal of the day. We all want to start the day off with a wholesome meal for our kids, but the time crunch makes it difficult. Magic Spoon helps relieve the morning rush with tasty cereals, high in protein for a great start to the day. Magic Spoon offers a variety pack with four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And it has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs per serving. Each Magic Spoon cereal is made with wholesome ingredients and no artificial flavors or dyes. And since it's gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free, it's great for a variety of dietary needs. Go to magicspoon.com slash momwell to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momwell at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund you your money, no questions asked. Try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momwell and use the code momwell to save
So pregnancy comes with its own set of risks, obviously, because we've got baby developing. Mm -hmm. And then we've got like lactation and breastfeeding. So do you Mm -hmm. distinguish those as two like different types of risk and, and does medication pass differently in one than in the other? Yes, they are two different risks. So usually when we're talking about breastfeeding, the risk drops significantly because the amount of breast milk, the amount of medication that's getting into the breast milk is is so much less than when the woman's pregnant um, and basically the, the baby's sharing her same bloodstream. Um, with breastfeeding, the, the breasts actually kind of serve as a filter not to mention that the the woman's body has kind of already metabolized the medication in most cases before it even gets to the breast milk. So risks really significantly drop when when we're talking about breastfeeding. does one, like let's say a common for postpartum depression, I think would be like a Zoloft or like a, I don't know. I don't know if that's an SSRI. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Zoloft's the an SSRI, and it's kind of the the, I guess, golden medication. That's for the most common one that I'm exposed to. So you know, yeah, um, right. <laughs> <that's funny. laughs> so, do like the advice before was like pump and dump or stop nursing. You know, that was sort of the advice we got before. And mm-hmm. and what is the advice now? Like, um, are there some studies and some concrete numbers? Not that I expect you to like kind of pull them out of your hat, but like, are, there, is there research in terms of <laughs> um, that, that it's trace amounts in the milk? And, and what's the kind of verdict on that? Right. So with older medications or medications that have been around for a long time, like Zoloft, um, there is a lot of information on how much of that medication is getting into the breast milk and then how much of that is actually in the infant's bloodstream. So with Zoloft, the reason why I think that medication has become so popular in pregnancy and breastfeeding is has nothing to do with its actual safety in pregnancy, but everything to do with the amount of medication that gets excreted into the breast milk. So when we're looking at at medications and breastfeeding, we often say then if it's 10% or less of the mother's um, dose that is getting into the breast milk, then that is considered a um, compatible level with breastfeeding. So the goal is to have it under 10%. With Zoloft, it's like less than 1% of the mother's um, dose is, is going into the breast milk. So the relative infant dose is, is very small. And at lower doses of Zoloft, it's essentially undetectable. Wow, that milk. is just astounding to think about because I know, like I personally know, even like outside of my practice, many friends and, and people who have gone through postpartum depression and been on Zoloft and felt the need to have to stop breastfeeding and thinking that it, that was doing a service, you know, for their baby when when really mm-hmm. uh, it's such a trace amount and and breastfeeding in itself is so healthy and important for baby too, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. So, so it, 
I think maybe in the old days, it used to be the recommendation to stop breastfeeding when you're taking these medications. But now we have so much information on these medications and breastfeeding that the recommendation is then it's better for the baby to breastfeed on the medication than to completely stop Wow. Well, I'm so excited that we have busted that myth here today. And obviously, um, like it may vary depending on the medication and people can talk to their sort of like supervising psychiatrist or consult whoever they consult about their medications. But that's really encouraging to know that mom can take care of herself and her mental health and do that favor for herself and also still have that ability to nurse and breastfeed. Amazing. So getting into some of my next questions, given that there are so few of you reproductive psychiatrists out there um, and that (laughs) like depression and anxiety postpartum are so common, how might somebody go about advocating for or who do they seek out to manage medications and things like in the perinatal period? That is an excellent question and one that I get both a little discouraged by thinking about the solutions and and excited by at the same time. I think currently, um, unfortunately, there's just not, not many options for women. You know, like we talked about in the beginning, a lot of OB-GYNs are not trained well on on these sorts of medications in pregnancy and breastfeeding. And similarly, not a lot of psychiatrists are, are trained well on it either. And so it really is, is based on trying to find um, someone who has, has either been trained on it or who has taken it upon themselves to learn more about this information. Um, and that's hard to find, right? Because a lot of people who are already out in practice have really busy lives and, and it's not always easy to just take it upon themselves to, to learn more about this information. So I don't have a good answer right now for that. I have some solutions that I think that then I hope start becoming more common practice. So there's a, a project specifically um, in Wisconsin called the Periscope Project, where any... Um, practitioner, anyone who is prescribing medication or anyone who is even in contact with pregnant or postpartum women can call this um, this organization and ask them questions on how they can best get help for their, their client or their patient. So let's say then it is an OB-GYN who has a woman in her office who's depressed or who's anxious or, or who maybe is even developing some psychotic symptoms. They can call this, this number and a perinatal psychiatrist will get on the phone with them within wow. 30 minutes and talk with them about okay, here are the questions you need to ask them. Um, And after these answers, like here's kind of the algorithm of what you need to go down and and these are your medication options. Um, So it's it's an excellent program. And then, then, you know, OB-GYNs 
will start calling about things that, you know, become even more complicated and the easier stuff or, you know, the, the more simplified stuff like depression or anxiety, they'll already know how to treat. They'll already know the questions that they need to be asking to make sure they're screening for the right things. Um, because it's not always as simple as, oh, you're depressed. Okay, here, let me give you some Zoloft. A lot of times if, if they haven't asked the right questions, that can actually make the right. patient worse. Um so it's a, a great organization that I hope kind of, you know, spreads and that more people use and that hopefully more organizations like that are developed so that people can can have a better access to this information and get get the right information rather than a lot of um, older previous recommendations. Yeah, and so for the professionals that might be listening, whether they're OBGs or, or anyone else in the medical field, is there like a certificate or a, a training or a course that you're aware of that they can take to kind of shape up their knowledge on this area? There is. So, so in terms of the United States nationally, there's an organization called Postpartum Support International. Yes, I'm actually going through their certificate, their mental health certificate program right now. Yeah. Okay. Right. So they they have one that is for for people. I think internationally, definitely in the United States. I'm not sure if it's international or not. Um, but but there's other organizations. So for example, I'm from Austin, Texas, and in Austin we have an organization that will go out and train people. Um, who want more of this perinatal mental health training so that they can be more equipped to ask the right questions and do the right kind of screenings and those sorts of things. But yeah, those are a little harder to come by as well, unfortunately. Okay. So the the PSI, the Postpartum International Support International, has mm-hmm. a pharmacological component as well? Yes, they do have a pharmacological oh, okay. component. That, that physicians or prescribers can very take interesting as well. yes because I've I've looked through there's mm-hmm. three different tiers um, I obviously fall under the counseling and psychotherapy so that part wouldn't necessarily apply to me but uh, mm-hmm. that's very interesting that they can go there and get that support yeah and you know I think it's a little bit harder for for people who are already in private practice because from my understanding it's a very pretty rigorous training. There's a lot of hours that go into it, but it it might be more than, you know, calling like the Periscope project, or I think PSI even has a provider um, line that providers can call to get advice on treating patients. Doing something like that might be a little more feasible. Right. And for those that are listening, we will put all of these resources in the show notes on the website and um, you'll be able to find all of those things there. So we can connect you whether you want to get the certificate and get information there or Postpartum Support International is also a great resource to link you to the right providers as well if you are a mom that's postpartum. So we'll be sure to link those. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's take a little bit of like a, I don't know, case study, I guess. So I was prescribed, I had chronic migraines, like the worst migraines. I've had them from like a car accident a long time ago. And like, I got them throughout pregnancy as well, obviously, because they just have never not been there. And Mm -hmm. I had to function and take some sort of medication while I was pregnant. And I suffered through the first like one or two pregnancies, really just on extra strength Tylenol, which was 
not even, you know, touching the pain that I was in. And then for my Mm -hmm. third pregnancy, I had a two-year-old and a one-year-old and I was pregnant and I had to function (laughs) as a human being. So, um, and as a mother, not just even for myself, but I had to take care of these kids and I didn't have the luxury of laying in a dark room, taking care of my migraines every day. So, with that being said, I uh, worked with my OBG at the time, and she gave me some medications that were safe to use during pregnancy to help manage my migraines. And I was very anxious, as I think every mom is, to take any mm-hmm. kind of medication while pregnant. So mm-hmm. it pushed me, like, I was pushed pretty far to get to a point to even consider medication to begin with. Uh, but like we talked about earlier in the episode, like weighing the risks and and the the cost of not functioning as a mom to my other kids and like all of those things taken into consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, giving medication a try was a necessity at that point. And I was anxious about it. So she prescribed it to me and I called mother risk because at the time that was my measuring stick for what was safe (laughs) and what wasn't because it was data research-based, like informed opinions about the medications that are on the market right now. So Mm -hmm. I say all of that to ask you if there are moms out there Uh, who are working with OBGs or GPs or midwives or whoever else is sort of their primary care, uh, and they've been prescribed a medication that they feel unsure about, are there resources Mm -hmm. or what would you recommend they do to have the true up-to-date facts or like research about it um, to guide Mm -hmm. their decision-making? That is an excellent question because we all know that Google um, has a lot of information out there for us and it's hard to parse out what's actually real and and um, research guided versus what are just opinions or biases or things that people just write Absolutely. on the internet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there, there is an organization... Um, The acronym for it is OTIS, and I can't remember right now what that stands for, but they have a website called mothertobaby.org. And on this website, they have fact sheets on various medications that people might be taking for different illnesses, not even just mental illnesses, but various, you know, type of disorders. And each fact sheet has information on whether or not the medication might cause an increased risk of deformations or malformations or other problems with the pregnancy or, you know, later in life affecting um, how the child's going to develop. And it bases all of its information on looking at research and and actual um, data and and not just one study, but kind of collectively looking at all of the information and putting it together in a nice, easy to read format um, for people. And it's completely free too. Um, And they'll even have, you know, a PDF version that you can download and print. Um, So it's a great resource for patients and clients, but also for people who are prescribing medication and who might want to just brush up on 
on some information themselves or to hand out those those infer those pieces of information to their patients. So I, that's usually my go-to source that I suggest people look at when they're trying to figure out whether or not to take a medication. Well, that's incredibly helpful because there is no way as a as a GP especially or like people who who don't just specialize and have to know a broad range of medications all the time and all the research around them in these different ways, you know, right. it's, it's unrealistic to expect them to be on top of it all of the time, right? So for, for our own as consumers, our own knowledge and education, it's great to have a trusted resource that we can consult. And also for OBGs and GPs and midwives, whoever else, um, to be able to consult salt and and freshen up on the most current and up-to-date research because these things are ever evolving and changing right so right there's always new research coming out I think every month some new study comes out about you know even psychiatric medications in pregnancy and so it's impossible if it's not something that you're specializing in it's possible to keep up with all the information so yes it's a great resource for for all people involved so as we think about um, like wrapping up here in a couple of minutes, what would be something that you would say to a mom who like, or a woman or somebody who showed up in your office who really is struggling and feel like they need help, but are unsure? Like, I don't know. I feel like as women, we sacrifice ourselves so much and sometimes it is unnecessary to suffer to the extent that they do before they get help, right? So Mm -hmm, if there's someone who feels like they need help um, that maybe haven't taken the steps to get it yet or are unsure, what are some things that you might say to them? Hmm. You know, I, I think it really depends on each person, right? So there are some women who will come into my office who just want to have a conversation about what is maybe their, what are their options or what are the things that they should be doing? Um, and, and so it's, it really varies, you know, if it's someone who has been suffering for a long time and they've tried all of the things that they can try, which I feel like by the time they get to my office, it's usually the case. I'm kind of the last resort, unfortunately. Um, you know, it's kind of, telling them, you know, you've tried everything, you've done everything that you can. And mental illness, while our society holds it as kind of this, you know, thing that we should be able to, to fight against on our own, it's not, it's, it's an illness of the brain. And our brain is an organ, just like our pancreas or our liver, or our heart. And sometimes it gets sick. And sometimes there are things that we can do to help our organs out, you know, such as when we have diabetes, sometimes we can eat healthier and exercise and that in itself can sometimes be enough to reverse the disease, but sometimes it's not enough. And sometimes we need medication and that doesn't mean that we failed in any way or that we didn't do things good enough. It just is the way that our, our body works sometimes and that it has nothing to do with us being weak or strong or good moms or, or bad moms, or bad people, or anything. Like I appreciate that. that so much, and I like for any of the moms or women listening to this today. Like, I just want them to know that 
it is okay to seek help, right? Like it is okay to advocate for yourself without shame or without worry, because not only will you benefit in taking care of yourself, but so will your baby and so will your children in you making sure that you're cared for, right? Absolutely. That is an excellent point is that it really in the end, from my perspective, it really doesn't have much to do with the mother. It has a ton to do with the baby. I know that the the mom, her ultimate concern is the baby. And similarly with, with me as a, a psychiatric perinatal psychiatrist, that's my concern too, is what's going to be the best for the baby and waiting to get help is not the best thing for the baby. You know, it's, there's just so much that goes into, um, the development of a fetus and of a child then is tied into the mother and her health and her mental health. And so it really has everything to do with taking care of yourself so that you can provide your baby with the best environment. And how might you respond to um, somebody who might say that psychiatrists just want to prescribe medication? How, like, <laughs> this, I, I feel like if we're talking myths of psychiatry, <laughs> uh-huh. I feel like that's right up there, uh, like, you know, on uh, <laughs> one of the tops of them. And, um, yeah. and what, like, what would you say to that? I'm just curious your response. You know, I think it's, it's hard to counter that because like I mentioned, a lot of times by the time that people come to a psychiatrist, they have tried everything. They don't want to come to a psychiatrist. And so usually things are bad enough at that point that they need medication. In an ideal world, someone would come to a psychiatrist before anything even starts so that they can put the right things in place and have a plan um, in case things get bad. But I think that there are some psychiatrists out there who that's kind of their tool is medications. And so that might be what they feel most comfortable with. But there are a lot of psychiatrists out there who are trained to know when medication is appropriate, to know when therapy is maybe more appropriate. And especially when you're dealing with women during pregnancy and postpartum to really understand when is it appropriate to turn to medications versus when is it more appropriate to try other things. To your point about people not ending up in your office until they're sort of at this place where they need to be monitored for medication. Like I know in my field as a therapist, someone might turn up in my office having never received any kind of treatment before from anybody, let's say, right? And then if I think that Mm -hmm. they need to be assessed or increase their level of support, then I might bring in the consulting psychologist on our team who may do an assessment, Mm -hmm. uh, like a psychoeducational educational assessment or otherwise. And then that may determine that, you know what, you might benefit from a medication. And by that point, they've gone through two or three Mm -hmm. levels of professionals before we're like, you know, you should really have a psychiatrist who is in charge of overseeing your medications. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's not like when it comes back to that myth about psychiatrists just wanting to like push medications, there's been so many levels of interventions between that person and seeing a psychiatrist usually, um, that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of been screened out or it's been kind of brought up the ladder, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. right. So I think that, yeah, Yeah. like, so to your point that it's like a catch 22, it's not that psychiatrists just want to toss medication at people, but at the same time, people are referred to their office 
uh, for a reason and depending on what that is and who's referred them. So yeah, that's really interesting. So thank you for sharing about that. Mm-hmm. So for people who may want to find you, um, I know that obviously you practice in Texas and you're not in Toronto, which, mm-hmm. you know, is a little disappointing <laughs> for me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, um, so, but for people who might want to, like, I know you've got an Instagram and you share some really valuable resources there and things. So for people who might want to find you, where are you hanging out online these days? I guess Instagram. I, you know, I don't have much of an online presence. I do have a website. Um, it's rpcaustin.com. Um, and sometimes I will, I will put articles on there that I think are important or, or write some information down that I think is important. I'm trying to do that more, but really, I guess it would be Instagram. I don't have much of an online presence, but I'm always happy to, to chat with people and, and just talk with them about, you know, their thoughts too, because I think this is a very interesting topic, and I think it's evolving um, more and more, especially these days. And I'm really excited that it is, and that more more women are being open about what they've gone through, because I think that helps other women to to feel comfortable doing the same. Absolutely, I completely agree, and uh, I thank you for kind of you know, paving the way as one of the few who are doing this and for coming on here today and sharing just your knowledge and expertise. Cause I know that like, there is a lot of, like we had said, myths and an outdated research. And yes, we can't um, say with certainty that all medications are safe, but there are times that do call for medications and under the right supervision and right guidance, finding that right fit for you can make a world of difference mm-hmm. for the mom who needs it. Right. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. And we will put all of your contact details for IG and everything in the show notes. And we will also link all of those resources in the show notes as well. So thanks again for being with me today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. As always, I'm so happy and grateful that I can share this space with you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Quick question for you. Have you joined our Facebook facebook.com slash group slash happy as a mother you can join our private community and connect with like-minded supportive moms if you're looking for any of the resources that were discussed in today's episode you can head on over to our show notes all the links to the resources and all the contact information for our amazing guests will be there Make sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss a single episode. And if you can't wait until the next episode to connect with me, I'll be hanging out over on Instagram at underscore happy as a mother. I'll see you right back here for the next episode.